Well, today we're going to talk about some things that are heavy. And so I want to keep some lightness into it because there are some things that are some opportunities for us to grow, some opportunities for us to be challenged. First off, let me just welcome those of you that are joining us online. Thank you so much, including our pastor, Alan, from the beautiful Alabama Gulf Coast. Good to see you today. He, take, he actually woke me up with a text message this morning and said he's praying for us because he gets up early and I don't. But uh, he is watching. He wants to send his love to everyone. Uh, and by the way, uh, the things that I'm going to say today, if anything I say offends you or bothers you, please don't bother Alan while he's on vacation. Please send them to me. My email address is on the screen. You can copy that down. If anything I say bothers you, you can write that, uh, send it in, and we'll make sure that we get it addressed, okay? <clears throat> so we're going to continue in our Summer on the Mount series uh, in our second message of True Righteousness. Uh, Alan told me I wanted to name this series True Righteousness Part 2, so I did. All right, so we can pass that on the screen. That's our uh, message title for the day. We're going to be talking in Matthew chapter 5. If you like to open your Bibles, you can. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 16 is what we'll be talking about. And this is just a continuation of the Beatitudes that Pastor Allen started talking about last week. So I'm going to dive right in. Um, in verse number 10, uh, Jesus first gives us the promise of persecution. That's your first blank in your notes. I know how important the blanks in the notes are. We've been given the promise of persecution. Pastor Allen challenged me to be alliterative in my notes. I'm usually not, so I'm going with many alliteration. You'll notice that the P and the P work together like that. It's to help you remember, right? So next week, we'll all remember about the promise of persecution, yes? Yeah. Hey, last week when Pastor Will started talking about uh, whatever he was talking about with Hezekiah, he was reading something that I read back in February, and he didn't even remember that. So, man, shame on you, Will. Every, I should have alliterated. I guess so. <clears throat> yeah. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All right, so the video we saw was kind of satirical. It's not real persecution. We know that. People have left churches for reasons like that. People have been disappointed at churches for reasons like that, and those things are trivial in the grand scheme of things, okay? What we need to do is make sure we get our mind in the right place. So let's break down some of these words. God blesses. Remember last week we, when Pastor Allen talked about the word blessed? He said blessed means Happy. Man, that was last week. Blessed means happy. happy. All right, so uh, the reason mine looks different, um, everyone that Pastor Allen read said blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. Mine says God blesses. Uh, this is a different translation. I like to read out of the New Living Translation. It's a thought-for-thought thought translation. Uh, Pastor Allen uses the English Standard Version, which is a literal word-by-word -word translation. Uh, so sometimes there are strengths in both of those. I like this because it kind of brings you the whole idea. Um, there are some weaknesses that you'll end up seeing in one of the passages that I pulled out. Um, but New Living is what this is. Uh, God blesses, God makes happy those who are persecuted. Persecuted means to be attacked, okay? And attacks aren't always physical. Attacks don't always mean that somebody's coming at you with a sword. Somebody's not coming to, to rip the Bible from your hand. Somebody's not, not coming to, to beat you, flog you. Persecuted simply means attacked. And Jesus is going to tell us some of the ways that we can be attacked spiritually, emotionally, socially, mentally. There are many ways that the world can persecute us for our beliefs. So let's not think in extremes, okay? We know that the American church doesn't, uh, doesn't live in extreme persecution. By the way, that could happen one day. 
And if it does, we need to be prepared for that. Uh, America also, it's, it's not limited to just preferences where we're persecuted. There are, there are wiggle rooms for both of those things. All right, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Persecuted, so God makes happy those who are attacked for doing right. All right, this, this idea of right is a suggestion that there is right. Okay, this is the confirmation of absolute truth in the Bible. Okay, this is God saying that what God says is true is true. Um, so God makes happy those who are attacked for standing for his truth. All right, now how does God do that? The answer is right behind that. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs, okay? This is a big deal. This kingdom of heaven, this heaven mindset uh, is, is a big deal. It actually influences everything that Jesus tells his followers. I'm going to bring my guitar out. I told Pastor Will that if he gets to preach for five minutes last week during his songs, I can sing for five minutes during my preaching. So I'm going to do that. But I'll tell you something that something that our, our grandparents' generation got right was how much they focused on heaven. Uh, in their churches, they focused on heaven. In their dinner conversations, they got excited thinking and dreaming about heaven, thinking about getting to be with Jesus. And they used to sing songs that were seasoned with heaven. Now, we, actually, in all three of the songs that we sang today, there were hints of heaven or eternity in every one of them. I thought that was so cool that it works out because in most of the songs we have today, that's not the case. A lot of the songs are about earthly, temporary things. But we used to sing songs something like this. <clears throat> I better get that capo off, or that's going to be bad. That's a better key. You approve of this one, Will? Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shores. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah. do songs like that. Which, uh, this one I'm about to sing is one of my favorites. It probably was my favorite growing up. I just got to get in the right key before I can sing it. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called 
up yonder, I'll be there. And then the song that I was told was the national anthem for Christians growing up even has a flavor of heaven in that. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Those are the songs when I grew up in church. We sang one of those every week. We sang songs every week. Claire, are we good on the, on the mic? We sing songs every week, letting us, just reinforcing this, this dream, this, this goal of being able to be reunited with Jesus, getting able to see Jesus face to face in heaven, getting to live with him in eternity, singing of the grandeur of heaven, singing of the grandeur of what he has prepared for us. And that was the mindset that people used whenever they endured persecution. That's what Jesus says we have to have if we're going to endure persecution. Now, I do think persecution is real in the American church. Uh, we go on to verse uh, 11 in this text. It says, uh, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad because a reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The reward awaits us in heaven. How do we endure persecution? How do we think of it as a good thing when people mock us? We think that's what they did to Jesus. How do we think of it as a good thing? That gives us the opportunity to respond to them. Persecution is real. Listen, those of you that are getting ready to go to college, you're going to get mocked whenever you decide you're not going to go out for an all-night rager Saturday night, okay? That's going to come. Those of you that are, that are at work, you're going to get mocked whenever you don't want to go to lunch at certain restaurants with your coworkers. All right? That's going to happen. And that's okay. That gives us the opportunity to respond. And how do we respond with that? Jesus gives us a couple of ways. The first one is with the savor of salt. We've been given the savor of salt. It's the second point in our notes today. God has given us the savor of salt. And I am working on my backup plan because I am like at 4% battery on this. This is not good. I'm about to kill his iPad. He wants me to turn it off. How about that? Thank you, son. The savor of salt... Uh, verse 13, uh, Jesus, actually, before we go there, I do want us to look at one other video that's going to show us what the reality of persecution looks like in some countries that are close to the gospel. So let's take a look at this video and then we'll move on. In North Korea, Christians face imprisonment in harsh labor camps and even death. But despite the dangers, Bay continues to serve Christ there as a house church leader. Recently, she was able to get a letter to an Open Doors partner in China. 형제님 보시오. 
Dear brother, we are well and at peace through the grace of Jesus Christ and your prayers. When our Bible was found, it was immediately destroyed. And because we are Christians, we were exiled to a remote village with no chance of ever leaving. Work here is hard. Rations are limited. We are always hungry or sick. We need to forage to survive. But every morning, when I open my eyes, I feel the presence of the Lord and thank our Father God that I am still strong enough to be used as his servant. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even though it was difficult, I recently was able to cross the border into China. There I met with other Christians. They gave me food, medicine, and, by the grace of God, a new Bible. I was offered a place to stay in China. It would have meant freedom, but I could not abandon my family and church, however small it may be. From your perspective, brother, our suffering must appear as though we live a cursed life. However, we see it as a blessing, because it is a shortcut to the Father. But yet, brother, I have one more request. That you send our gratitude to those who continue to pray for us. In return, we'll stay healthy and continue to spread the gospel throughout North Korea. Your sister in Christ. So, there are parts of the world where it is illegal to share the gospel. Let us not forget to pray for these believers who are out there spreading the love of Jesus anyway, even though it can cost them their life. There, there are people facing real persecution out there. We face real persecution here, not trivializing that. There are people that are facing physical persecution for sharing the gospel, and let's not forget to, to encourage them and lift them up in our prayers. So the second thing I want us to discuss is the savor of salt. This is, Jesus gives us the so what of what do we do now that we know we're going to be persecuted, now that we know that we need to keep a kingdom of heaven mindset, what do we do? First thing is we use the savor of salt. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the salt of the earth. That is a saying. We've heard it a lot. It has been stolen from the Bible and translated into good old boy technology that says salt of the earth is just descriptive of a person that you want to be around. They're just a good person. That's the kind of person to give you the shirt off their back like a fan at a NASCAR race, except he didn't bring a shirt, and neither did his wife. 
Salt of the earth. So what is Jesus saying about that? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard someone talk about this passage. If you've been in the church in the last three weeks, you've heard somebody talk about this passage. Uh, it, was, it happened right up here on this stage three weeks ago on graduation Sunday. The salt of the earth. Uh, I did not pick this passage, by the way. It was given to me, okay? What can I say? <clears throat> I'm looking at Joseph back there. The salt of the earth. What does salt mean? What does salt do? You've been in church for a while. You've heard messages about salt. So you tell me, what is something that salt does? It flavors. Now we'll go with that one first. Salt gives flavor. It, it tastes really good, right? So we'll, we'll get to that one in a minute. It preserves. I grew up in a house get this. Y'all tell me how strange I am. There was one person that raised his hand in the first service. My dad, and I love you, dad, if you're watching, uh, my dad would take salt and pour it on top of his wrist and just lick it right off the top. Anybody's stomach's turning at that idea? That's, that is strange. My son, yeah. Okay. That is a strange thing. I've tried it. I can stomach it, but it's not the greatest thing in the world. The salt itself is not, is not the key. What does the salt do? It flavors the other stuff. It brings out the flavors in the other stuff. You put salt on a, in anything. You, I put salt on most everything. Uh, my kids come home last week. I came home and the kids were saying, Mama made us some mac and cheese and you won't guess the secret ingredient. I'm thinking it's either butter or it's a trick question and it's love. And uh, they said, nope, it's salt. Go, well, it's not that big of a secret, son, but okay. <laughs> so salt was the secret ingredient. Uh, I my chili. I love chili. Any, any chili lovers in here? It is not chili season, but it will be soon, like five months. I'm claiming it. And when chili season comes, I'm going to cook chili. And the most important ingredient in my chili is salt. If I don't put the salt in there, everything else is going to taste, ugh. It's just going to taste like a bunch of garbled mess in there. All right, it's got to have the salt to bring the flavors out. The salt interacts with whatever it's touching to bring out the best flavor in that, to enhance the flavor of whatever it's touching. So we got preserves, salt preserves. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, we had a country ham. When I was seven or eight years old, I could never, my dad could not find the words to explain to me how this ham did not rot, not being in a freezer. He told me, well, it's salt packed. So, but it's not in a freezer. You don't have to put it in a freezer because the salt will keep it. And that thing's sitting in an outbuilding in our house all winter long, and we'd slice off every Saturday morning some country ham and cook it up. It was a neat, neat thing. Is the salt the, the star of the show? What's the star of the show in that? It's the ham. The salt has to interact with the ham to do its job for the ham so that the ham tastes good when we need the ham. It's not about the salt. Well, something else that salt does. It aids in hydration. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so as, as you, you have to eat salt in order to be able to retain enough water to keep your body hydrated, that is very good. Is it about the salt? Or is it about what the salt is trying to keep in your body? Yeah, it's about the salt keeping the water nearby in your body. What else does salt do? I got two more ideas. Purifying. Yeah, absolutely. Salt is a purifying agent. People use salt in saltwater pools nowadays. Saltwater pools are coming the, the hip thing instead of chlorine pools. Um, they, they keep everything pure. Any of you, if you're, if you're a sushi eater, y'all like freshwater sushi? You like freshwater sushi? 
Most people tend to saltwater sushi. Um, but, I mean, you can eat whatever you want to. The, the, salt, the reason, you know, you think about sashimi and stuff like that, the salt water is pure. Uh, it is less likely to contain, you know, contaminants and whatnot because the fish have been swimming in the salt water. What's that? Ah, I did get you. Yeah. Yeah, tuna, salmon, both saltwater species, um, you know, things of that nature. Um, one of the things that was very interesting talking about purifying, uh, about, about a month ago I was, I was working on the, in, in the building over there uh, with a framing nailer, and I actually shot myself twice because uh, once wasn't enough for me to learn, I guess, to keep my hand out of the way. Um, but I showed it to one of our many medical professionals, Rich Abney. He was, I think he's in the back today. Um, I showed it to him, and he says, well, you just need to get you some warm salt water and soak it in there. And that'll clean out the infection. And sure enough, it did. I, I stuck it in there, and about 20 minutes later, I could see the infection that it was pulling out of my, of, of my wound. Uh, so it was kind of neat that just simple salt water. Again, is salt the star of the show here? It's what it's purifying. It's the pool. It's the, it's the sushi. It's the wound, uh, cleansing things. You can do salt scrubs, salt baths. Uh, some of you ladies probably like those kind of things. Get you a spa day at Newman Massage and Wellness. Uh, did y'all pay for that, by the way? You can write the check. All right, good. Um, those kind of things, cleanse, exfoliate. It's all about what the salt is acting on. The last thing is salt lowers the freezing temperature of water. Whenever Brad Travis changes his profile picture on Facebook to Bumble from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all the salt trucks deploy and spray this nasty mess everywhere and turns all of our cars white. It doesn't snow. Two days later, it's 65 degrees, and there's a 30-minute wait at Mr. Car Wash to get the white stuff off of our cars. All right? Now, the salt is supposed to be there to prevent the roads from freezing over if it should snow, if it should ice. Again, the star of the show is not the salt. It's the water that it's interacting with to keep it above freezing. You see the pattern. We're the salt of the earth. Jesus says we're the salt of the earth. We're not the star of the show. It's all about us being able to interact with the world around us, being able to influence the world around us. And then we'll go back to hydration. You talked about that. What is the biggest thing that, that when you eat too much salt, what happens? You get, you get bloated, you get dehydrated, which means you get thirsty. Your body wants more water. And as salt of the earth, as the salt of the earth that Jesus has called his disciples to be, what does that make, what does that make the world thirsty for? Living water. The living water that's in Jesus. That's what Jesus has called us to do to make the world thirsty for living water that comes out of Christ. All right, a couple of other things in this passage. He talks about being worthless salt. Um, there, I, I, he says, what good is the salt if it loses its savor? Um, I had to Google how does salt lose its savor, and I found out very interestingly, if the salt is pure, it does not lose its savor. Uh, sodium chloride is one of the strongest, most stable chemical compounds, and it does not change. However, Jesus was not talking to 2023 chemists. He was talking to AD 27 disciples who lived near the Dead Sea. All right? The Dead Sea is a source of salt. Um, if you go and get a handful of salt from the Dead Sea today and you sprinkle it on your uh, nachos at Las Trojas, you're going to be disappointed in how bitter that salt tastes. That salt is not pure. And so sometimes they would be able to get salt that would, that would work, and sometimes they would get salt that did not work. 
And what he's saying, what happens if the salt loses its savor? Can it, can it ever be made salty again? Say, so once they got a bad batch of that, they would throw it out on the street. And that's what would happen in that day. So he's telling his disciples, make sure that you have the savor that is going to attract people to me. Look at what, uh, what Paul writes in Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. All right, and the literal words used there is seasoned with salt. I put that in parentheses. So that you will have the right response for everyone. In the way that we interact with the world, make sure our conversations are seasoned with salt. I'll take this moment to issue a public apology to anyone I have ever offended with the way I spoke to you. I know I have trouble in this area, all right? This is, this is something I've got to get better on. If I ever say something that offends you, please tell me that I offended you so that we can work on it so that I can get better. Because I say things that, that, that hurt people without even knowing it, and I certainly don't mean to, all right? So as I work with this, let us all work together with seasoning our salt, conversation with salt, um, so that we drive people toward the living water that is in Christ. So in addition to being seasoned with the savor of salt, we've also been given the illumination of light. All right, so Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, and now he's about to tell us you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one puts a lamp under a basket no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Okay, so the idea is he wants, he wants us to shine to the world around us. What does light do? It shines, but what, what's the goal of light? To, to get rid of the darkness, to, to help us to see, to expose what's around it. All right, expose is one of those words that gets a bad rap, all right? It's like consequences. When I said consequences, who thought of something good? Nobody? Consequences, like nobody says, well, man, I'll tell you what, Tommy studied for that test, and he paid attention in class, and as a consequence of all that, he got a 98 on his test. And as a bonus consequence, he's going to get set at the special table for lunch. But all of that is a true statement in English. That would, you know, if all that happened. That's a proper use of the word consequence. Consequence is not a negative word. It's just a word. People always associate it negatively. Expose is the same thing. Expose is one of those words that people always treat as a negative word, probably because of the grocery store checkout line, newspapers, magazines. You know, so-and-so exposed for bribery, so-and-so exposed for scandal. Exposing just means that it, it's revealed. It lights up. The lights in this room reveal what's in the room. Nobody turns the lights, nobody walks into a room and turns on, all right, I'm going to say nobody. Never speak in superlatives. Most people don't go into a room and turn on a light switch and stare at the light. This actually hurts. I shouldn't do that. I should have learned that in the first service. Should not stare directly at the light. Kids, don't do that. You watching at home, don't do that. All right, it's not good. The light is not there for the light's sake. What's the light there for? It's for the sake of everything around it. These lights are here to make sure that you can see everything you need to see in this room so that you can be safe, so that you can know where to sit, so that you can see what's on the stage, so that you can see the doors to make your way out. That's what we have lights in rooms for. And Jesus says that we are the light of the world. We've been given as the light of the world to shine like a city on a hill. You know, I like flying. I don't like paying for flying, but I like to fly. It's a fun way to travel. Uh, any window seat people in the room? 
I got some windows people. Some people don't like window seats. I love window seats because I like to open the window and look out. Uh, when we were flying to Nashville to Vegas, I'm looking out and I'm going, yep, there's the Tennessee River. And then we go on, yep, there's the Mississippi. We're going on, I'm seeing the greenery. Oh yeah, we're in Arkansas now. And then the greenery starts to become speckled with brownery. And I say, okay, we're in Texas now. And then it becomes brownery that's sprinkled with greenery. And I go, okay, we made it to New Mexico. And then it changes to plum brownery. And I say, all right, we're in Arizona now. And all of a sudden a city appears. All right, that's gotta be Vegas. Uh, at nighttime, you don't get any of that. What do you get when you look out? Well, if you're looking up, you see the stars. If you're looking down, what do you see? You see black and you see little clumps of lights. You'll see a little clump of light whenever you pass over a city. You see a big clump of light when you pass over a big city. I like see them. I got, I got this little, uh, you know, they all have Wi-Fi in-flight trackers to let you show exactly where you are on the flight now. So I remember flying from Houston to Nashville and looking out the left side of the window and going, yep, that's got to be Memphis based on where we are. It's kind of kind of neat. I like looking at that kind of stuff. Those lights, once they're there, they can't be covered, right? What's the opposite of light? Dark. So guys in the back, I want to do something. Can y'all add some darkness to the room? All right. And now can you remove some of the darkness from the room? So what, what did you, what did you, how did you add darkness to the room? Turn the lights off. There's, there's, there's not a darkness that you can add, right? The only way to impact the light is to turn it off, cover it up, destroy it, cut the fuel from it. You can't just add darkness to a room. When the light is there, the light overcomes the darkness. The light overpowers the darkness. Jesus has given us that power to be able to come into a room as the light of the world and expose the world, expose what's going on in dark, but also to be able to expose the world to their need for him. We're the salt of the world to draw, draw people into him. We're the light of the world. Verse 15 uh, says, Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Put your lamps out where people can see them. All right? So the light, again, it's not about the light. It's about what the light is interacting with. The salt. It's not about the salt. It's what the salt interacts with. All right? So what Jesus is saying, you're going to be persecuted. Keep your mind on heaven and interact with the world in a way that it brings people to me. And that's where things get uncomfortable. If we're going to reach a lost world, things are going to get uncomfortable. They are. You know, I, I, I shared this with the first service. I've heard stories, and, and this was true a little bit when I was, when I was a young Christian. Um, we used to have prayer meetings. And by the way, we have a prayer meeting at, at our church every, every Thursday night at 6 o'clock, and it would be great for you to come. Uh, to get on your face before God and pray for his direction for our church, your family, and those in your spheres of influence. We'd have prayer meetings. And used to, the prayer requests would come in, pray for this uncle, he is lost. Pray for this person's salvation. Pray for this person to sober up on Saturday so that, not that he can be a good father, so that he can come to church on Sunday. 
Pray for this person, salvation. Pray for this person, he is lost. Pray for this person, she needs Jesus. Those used to be the prayer requests that would come in. And now, they're all earthly focused. Pray for this person, they're having surgery on Tuesday. Pray for this person, they're sick. Pray for this person, they need, they need healing from this disease. Pray for this person, he lost his job. Pray for this person. Now, those are not bad prayer requests, but they should not be at the exclusion of the other. It should be both and, right? So I've, I've heard it said a couple of different ways. I've, you know, a long time ago, preachers used to say, man, we get so, we get so heavenly minded that we're just no earthly good. I heard preachers say that. That was, a, that was very popular back in the 90s and 2000s. Well, somebody listened to that. I don't think we have that problem anymore. I don't think we have that problem at all. In fact, I think we have the opposite problem. I think we have become so earthly-minded that we have become no heavenly good. In our prayer times, we spend all of our time praying saints out of heaven and spend no time praying sinners out of hell. Does it, does it, make, does it make us uncomfortable? that people that we love in our spheres of influence in their current state without Jesus will die and spend an eternity in a sinner's hell. Does that make us uncomfortable? You know what? I, I think in Americanized culture, I think we're okay with it. I talked about how our grandparents had it right with, with heaven. One of the things that maybe we weren't so good on is, is morality. And I'll, I'll, I'll caveat that and say it this way. Our country was founded on Christian principles. I think everybody would agree with that. We made laws that made it illegal to look lost. Used to, if, if somebody that was, somebody was the same gender wanted to get married, there was a law that said they couldn't do that. They had to go around in secret and practice what they wanted to. Somebody wanted to kill an unborn baby, there was a law against that. And then there wasn't, and now it depends, right? But the day that the law was to where you could, nobody had to go into the back room and figure out how to do it. It already existed. People knew how to do it. People have been doing it. The things that we're comfortable with are looking saved, looking like Christians, being okay. Well, he's an all right guy. He's probably going to be all right. Well, this person, I'm comfortable being around. I, I enjoy my time being around this person. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't ever talk about Jesus or go to church, but he's probably an all right guy. That doesn't make us uncomfortable. You know what makes us uncomfortable? This makes us uncomfortable. You know what this is? This is a Pride Month packaged bag of Skittles. Didn't get it from Target, got it from the blue store. This makes us uncomfortable. I don't want these people ramming this down my throat. I want to be able to go into a store and my kids not have to see this. I don't want to pull up my favorite streaming app and the first 10 suggestions are all Pride Month suggestions. Let me challenge us to think about this a little bit differently. Because now more than ever, at any point in time in our country, people are screaming 
at the top of their lungs. I am lost. I need a savior. I need hope in my life. I need someone to share the love of Christ with me. This, this, is, this, is, this is not persecution. Look at the final point in your notes. This is not persecution. Another word for persecution is opportunity. Every time someone mistreats us for our faith, is an opportunity for that person to see us respond. Every time a store puts this at the kiosk right at the front, is an opportunity for them to see us respond. Every time your favorite restaurant posts something on social media supporting Pride Month, that's your opportunity to respond. But not respond with the way we want to respond. is saying, you people shut up and get out of my sight. I don't want to see this mess. But what we should be doing is responding with the savor of salt and with the good deeds of light shining bright for all to see. Listen, we're not going to win the world to Christ by treating their symptoms. Y'all want to know why the world acts so lost? It's because they're lost. They're not acting lost because it's fun. They're acting lost because they don't know any better. And us telling them how to act is not going to fix the problem that they are lost. Joseph, when he, when he shared salt and light a couple weeks ago, he alluded to a conversation I had in staff meeting. He was very vague to protect people. And I'm going to give you a little more of an insight, and I'm still going to be vague to protect the people involved. But there's a person in one of my circles of influence, and he has declared publicly that he does not want to be referred to as him or mister. He has changed the way he dresses. He has changed the way he appears. He has changed the way uh, that he refers to himself and now refers to himself as she and ma'am and her. And I had to bring this to the staff because, like, I, I thought I knew what I stood for. I thought I knew where I stood on this. I wanted to make sure I was right. I wanted to make sure there wasn't something I was missing. And what I said was, if I go to this person and start telling him how he is wrong, I'm not going to win him to Christ. His greatest need is not to realize that God created him as a man. His greatest need is to realize that he is lost and hopeless without the saving relationship of Jesus Christ. That's what has to be fixed. We'll let all the rest take care of itself later. Until, until that is fixed, let's not treat the symptoms. Let's not try to mask the symptoms. Let's not try to change the way he, let's, let's not try to get him out of his dress and into some pants so that I'm more comfortable sitting beside him. I've invited people to this church, and they'll say, well, you know what? You know, I'd, I mean... I don't want to be a hypocrite, and you know, I kind of like to throw a few back on Saturday night. Come. Come in. We'll fix your biggest problem first. We'll worry about that later. You want to get drunk on Saturday night? Come to church Sunday. We'll sit beside you. Put your arm around you. 
You can sit by me. One of these, one of these people that I just flung the bag of Skittles across the, the room for comes into our room. Sit beside them. If you're the appropriate gender, put your arm around them. If you can't figure out what gender they're comfortable having their arm around, just sit beside them and talk to them. Okay? Let's not treat symptoms. Let's fix problems. The problem is that there's a lost world that we've been called to reach with the gospel in a way that is seasoned with salt, in a way that shows the light of the world. Pastor Will, come on up. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. This is, this is challenging. This is challenging stuff. This, this is challenging the way that we think as a culture. But I want you to know that we've got to keep our minds focused on heaven. We've got to keep our minds focused on the end goal, which is the saving of many souls. That's what God has called us to do, to reach as many people with the gospel as we can. I want to encourage you, if there's something in your life that you're holding on to and saying, well, you know what, God probably can't save me because of this. I want to tell you that's not true. And you can't spend any amount of time trying to fix that problem without addressing the root cause. You can't go around masking symptoms and hiding symptoms and expect the problem to go away. The problem is we're all sinners, all in need of a Savior. And if you have not met that Savior face-to-face, if you have not had that personal relationship with Jesus, let today be the day you come and talk to me or one of our pastors or one of our counselors and find out how you can get that right in your life. And if you've been saved and you're trying to figure out what to do with all of this, I encourage you to get on your knees and pray and find out how God can use you to be salt and light to the circles of influence He has placed around you. Because just like me, I've got people in my circles that are lost and I need to be praying for them and I need to be reaching them and I need to be seasoning my, my conversation with salt so that they can see Jesus so that when they talk to me they want what I got they want the water that I got Father thank you for your love thank you for your goodness and grace Lord I pray that you'll be glorified in the works that you're doing in the hearts of the people in this room right now and the people watching online I pray oh Lord you will make a life change in this room today. Change these people's lives just as you've changed mine. Lord, let your word spread throughout this community and in this church. We praise you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand up. If God is doing a work in your life, come on down. Let's talk. Let's find out how we can get you plugged into the gospel.